1: Join Pat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside The Box of Oddities.
3: Well, it's about day seven of uh, the painters disrupt our production schedule here <laughs> on The Box of Oddities. They're still at it.
2: It's fine. I've become very comfortable in the closet. I don't mind... Hanging out in here, it's warm, and it's cozy, and some of my favorite things are in here.
3: Some of your favorite things are in here? What is one of your favorite things here in the closet? Well, you. You're so gross. And haggis, haggis is in here, so.
2: That's true too. But it is weird to be out in the living room and then all of a sudden there is a man looking into your window.
3: Four stories up.
2: Earlier today, there was a guy on our balcony painting the walls of the balcony. Mm -hmm. And that was, at first, very concerning. (laughs) And I dropped to the floor and slunk out of the room.
3: Yeah, because you weren't wearing a bra.
2: Right, as per usual. And then I was like, you know what? It's a hot day. He's probably thirsty. So I wanted to offer him something to drink. Mm -hmm. He was listening to Spanish language music. And so I went out and I was like, Hola, and he said hola, and I was like, oh, thank goodness. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> yeah, hola, and I so I said, uh, quieres un bebida?
3: So you were using this as an opportunity to practice your Spanish.
2: Yes, I will any opportunity I have. Mm-hmm. And he was like, tienes agua, and I said, sí, también uh, limonada, and mm-hmm. he was like, okay, and I was like, limonada o agua, and he went. Either one is fine. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Cool, yeah,
3: that works for me." I'll
2: just, I'll just get that just, for
3: you. Then you slunk out of the room again. Yeah, you've been doing a lot of slinking lately. I
2: do. I slink a lot.
3: You're a slinker from way back.
2: I mean, he obviously spoke Spanish, so I wasn't wrong.
3: No, no. How many days are we until we uh, we head to Ecuador?
2: One month, twenty nine days. <laughs>
3: from the recording of this episode. It's actually been a pretty big topic of discussion on the Freaks Facebook group. Mm. Why are we moving to Ecuador?
2: I've just started adding gifs of capybara. <laughs>
3: that I that feel explains like, everything. Yeah, Capybaras are just giant guinea pigs.
2: They're so adorable. And they are a friend to all animals. And I love them. And they
3: also have giant guinea pigs, as well as the capybaras. Yes, indeed. I found a video of uh, a breeder... And they don't breed them as pets, oh, sadly. Now
2: they do eat them, mm. and uh, oftentimes roast them on spits in the
0: street. In the
3: street, yeah, that's Not one my thing. Favorite. We're going to have to get used to that, averting our eyes. Um, but they, yeah this this one lady was showing off her guinea pigs, and they were the size. Well, they were bigger than haggis. Yeah, they were like large rabbits, the size of a large rabbit or a small dog.
2: And so cute. We decided, though, if we ever get a guinea pig in Ecuador, that we can never rehome it.
3: No. <laughs> Best we not get one at all. All right, here we go. New Orleans. New Orleans. New Orleans. New Orleans. New Orleans. A city renowned for its captivating tales and enchanting folklore. It holds a particularly alluring legend at the heart of its history. It's the story of the casket girls.
2: Who are the casket girls? Well,
3: they were young French women who immigrated to New Orleans.
2: It's not the girls that didn't eat, right?
3: No, it is not the girls that did not eat. The casket girls were thought to be vampires. Oh. So let's go back to the early 18th century when the city of New Orleans awaited the arrival of this group of extraordinary young women. Everybody knew about their arrival because they were supposedly uh, dignitaries. They were from the upper aristotic class. And word spread like wildfire around the streets of the Big Easy. These women who would become known as the casket girls were no ordinary travelers.
2: But they didn't come to New Orleans with the name, the Casket Girls? No. It wasn't like a girl group and they all had matching shirts that said, Casket Girls.
3: Yeah, with numbers on the back? No, no, no. no. They were uh, a bunch of very brave and adventurous souls who had embarked on this journey across the ocean, leaving behind their homes in France, uh, looking for new exciting possibilities in the new world. So their ship draws closer to the shores of New Orleans and uh, people started crowding around the dock and there was this sense of awe and curiosity.
2: Just because they were mucky
3: mucks? That and the fact that they were uh, rumored to be these beautiful single women all traveling on their own which was pretty unusual for the day.
2: Okay, because I follow this group on Facebook which is entirely that thing.
3: The ship docks in the port of New Orleans and the women Descend the gangplank. The crowd stares at them. The sight of these French beauties with their porcelain complexions, their flowing ornate gowns, their mysterious smiles. Imagination started to run wild. But it wasn't just their beauty that captured the attention of the New Orleans. It was their luggage. Yes, their luggage. Louboutin. That would make sense, wouldn't it? But no. (laughs) Their luggage, they were distinctive trunks. And that held the key to the legends and myths that would soon envelop the city. The trunks were crafted from dark, weathered wood. They were adorned with ornate ironwork and tarnished brass fixtures. They exuded an air of antiquity and mystery, and their dimensions were exactly those of a coffin. Oh, they were an elongated shape and had an air of mystery about them. As they descended the uh, gangway, dragging their coffins behind them, there was a collective gasp and hushed whispers, and the stories began almost immediately. But what was hidden in these coffin-esque trunks, that was the question, and it ignited the imagination of the locals. Once the casket girls arrived in the port of New Orleans, it was the ursuline convent that opened its doors and welcomed these young ladies in was nestled in the heart of the city this was a religious sanctuary it became a temporary haven for the casket girls during their stay in new orleans now the convent was an institution known for its dedication to the education and the well-being of young women so they took the casket girls in and uh, gave them shelter
2: Meanwhile, everybody else in town is like, what do you think is in those caskets? Do you think it's bats?
3: The nuns, wearing their distinctive habits, they greeted the arrivals and took them to the convent. Within the sacred walls of this convent, the casket girls found sanctuary from the streets of New Orleans, and the convent's peaceful gardens and hollowed halls provided a respite from the unfamiliarity of their new surroundings, offering a little bit of peace and solace and perhaps even some familiarity. It was inside the walls of the convent people started speculating that amid the sacred silence in the stained glass windows, something evil dwelt. Who or what were these ladies? Tales and rumors began to circulate. People started talking about the supernatural nature of these maidens. Some claimed that the convent's sanctity was not enough to quell the dark desires that brood within their immortal souls.
2: They're coming after your blood.
3: They spoke of whispered incantations in the moonlit corridors, of forbidden rituals practiced behind the closed doors. It was said that these maidens were none other than vampires, creatures of the night thirsting on the lifeblood of unsuspecting citizens in New Orleans. Now, a lot of things seem to add up these were beautiful ladies. They had porcelain-like complexions, very pale, although that was kind of the style of the day. Sure. But it was the fact that they were dragging around these caskets behind them that I think really got people talking. As the whispers of the vampiric nature of the casket girls grew louder, tales began to emerge, weaving like a web of fiction and fascination Some claimed that these young women possessed the ability to mesmerize their victims with a single glance. Did you
2: see the way she was looking at Laszlo?
3: They would lure them into their clutches that way. Others whispered of fangs that extended from their delicate lips puncturing the skin to drink the crimson elixir of life.
2: Don't forget to clean your retainer.
3: The alleged nocturnal activities of the casket girls became the subject of countless tales. The storytellers painted vivid pictures of the maidens emerging from their trunks under the cloak of darkness inside the walls of this convent. They spoke of unholy rituals practiced in hidden chambers where the air was heavy with the scent of blood.
2: But they were just girls, right? Yeah. they just come from France. Yeah,
3: yeah, they're just a bunch of chicks from Paris on a road trip. Um, So let's step back into reality for just a moment. As with many legends, the truth lies somewhere between the layers of imagination and fantasy. The reality is far more grounded. The trunks carried by the casket girls just held their possessions. Their cherished mementos from home. The practical necessities for building a new life in this new city. They were not coffins for vampires, but just their Samsonite.
2: Can you imagine how ridiculous that must have seemed to these (laughs) girls? Like, they're just like, oh my gosh, look at how neat it is here. I, oh, Hmm. why is everyone looking at us like this?
3: Why is everybody wearing garlic around their necks? So strange. It was the ominous appearance of the trunks that uh, kind of kicked it all off. They held no vampires or creatures of the night, just stuff.
2: No mirrors, though, I bet.
3: (laughs) The casket girls, like countless other immigrants and settlers of the time, sought to build a new life in the new world. That was just their reason for coming, was to go on an adventure and start a new life. And they brought with them their traditions, their hopes, their dreams, and uh, their luggage that looked like a coffin. (laughs) So the tale of the casket girls, although surrounded somewhat in mystery because we don't know all the intricate details, does offer a glimpse into the enchanting folklore. New Orleans is known to have a history of vampire folklore and tradition. Sure.
2: Apparently people were pretty eager to buy into it.
3: Today the legacy of the casket girls lives on in the collective consciousness of the city. They represent a symbol of resilience and adventure and the lore of the unknown. Well, the specifics of their fate has been lost to history. It's believed.
2: That was actually going to be my next question, is do we know, like, did they stick around? Nope. Were they like, no, you guys are weird, we're leaving.
3: <laughs> they left the convent, and we don't know where they went for sure, but it's believed that many of them went on to marry and establish families in the city itself. But the truth, really, we just don't know. So next time you're wandering through the streets of the Crescent City, envision those casket-like trunks as more than objects of curiosity. They're reminders of the women who braved the unknown, carried their dreams and aspirations to the new country in luggage that looked like a casket. (laughs) My source information, The Vampire of New Orleans, The Historic Collection by Carolyn Long, and The Casket Girls of New Orleans, How the Legend of the Vampire Brides Began by... Patrice Markey, also Huffington Post. But that didn't sound as fancy.
0: When Johann Rall received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian Colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Raw lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened, in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Find out what's real and what's not when it comes to famous conspiracy theories, like those surrounding notorious assassinations and secret societies. Discover the weak and deceptive underpinnings of modern political ideologies and religious beliefs. Join me as I attempt to shed some light on our historical blind spots. New episodes every two weeks. Find historical blindness on most podcast players and platforms.
1: And now, that thing in the middle.
3: Welcome, dear thrill seekers, to the Sweeney Todd of horticulture, the poison gardens of Alnwick. Nestled in the heart of Northumberland, this sinister sanctuary hosts over 100 deadly plants, each more lethal than the last. Here, the gardener's motto is, if you touch, you just might forget your own name or possibly stop breathing. Housed behind black iron gates, warning signs litter the landscape, reminding visitors to not so much as breathe too deeply when near certain specimens. There's deadly nightshade and a strychnine tree. But it's not all doom and gloom. The Duchess of Northumberland opened this lethal labyrinth in 2005, intending it to be an educational experience, albeit one that might kill you. So if you fancy flirting with danger or yearn for a botanical Game of Thrones, visit Alnwick Poison Garden, where some plants are so poisonous, they're grown inside cages. So don't sniff the flowers too closely. It might just be the last thing you do.
2: I wanted to mention that Rick Steves liked our birthday tweet. Rick Steves!
3: <laughs> Legendary travel vlogger, Rick Steves. We're big Rick Steves fans.
2: I am obsessed with Rick Steves and everything that he does. I actually love Rick Steves and Rick Stein so much. And I just think it's funny that they're both named Rick. And they. I just want to hang out with Rick Steves and Rick Stein.
3: And they're both travel show hosts yeah yeah
2: anyway i tweeted rick steves for his birthday and i was like we hope to hang out with you someday you can take us to all the hidden gems of the area and we'll tell you about the spookies and he liked it he liked my tweet
3: (laughs) so you're pretty much besties now with rick steves
2: yeah i also photoshopped a um, lake monster into a photo of him (laughs) next to what i think is the rhine
3: Got an email from Natasha who said, uh, Box of Oddities Effect, I just watched an episode of 48 Hours last night about a kidnapped sex slave victim. I bitched all night to my husband that they did not do justice explaining the torment that this woman went through. This morning I turned on Box 285 and I'll be damned if you guys nailed it.
2: Yeah? Oh, Colleen Stan. Yeah, that was a rough one.
3: Hey, this is unrelated, but I wanted to mention it. Uh, I was reading an article, a collection of uh, scammer tweets and, <laughs> and emails, some of the ridicu- most ridiculous ones people had ever received, and I took a screenshot of this one. This one just blows my mind. It says, Hi, neighbor. Test confirmed that I was sick with a coronavirus. Doctors said that in the week I will leave the world. My parents will be left without my support. And at this time, you will live enjoying. I think this is unfair, and I suggest you pay me. What am I sitting at home and don't try to infect your home? Life or money? Hurry up. Every hour, I hate you more and more.
2: Oh, oh my goodness.
3: Here's my Bitcoin address. Wow.
2: We got a message from Lorna in Mexico City. Hey guys, just started listening to you on WBCQ, which is the uh, shortwave radio station that we're broadcasting on. The
3: Planet. Yeah, it's uh, 7.490 megahertz.
2: I've never listened to podcasts before, but I'm really enjoying you in the lineup. Well, that's thoughtful. Yeah.
3: The Planet, the uh, shortwave radio radio station uh, that she's talking about has been running our back catalog for what maybe a month and a half
2: something like that
3: Tuesday nights eight o'clock East Coast time um, and again it's uh, if you're into short wave, the frequency is 7.490 megahertz. It's a huge radio station. they say that it's uh, if not the most powerful radio station in the world, one of the most powerful radio stations in the world part of our global dominance strategy
2: (laughs) yeah and we've got an hour on tuesdays so i just uh chuck two episodes together and
3: off it goes
1: off
2: it goes into the ether it's been kind of fun actually
1: it's the podcast that's like that hidden pothole in the highway once you're in the middle of it there's no going back this is the Box of Oddities.
2: I wanted to first say thanks to Autumn for sending me a link to this. And she did this a long time ago, and I'm just now getting around to it. One, because we do get a lot of topic suggestions, mm-hmm. and I love that. But also because there's part of this that makes me sad, and so I didn't want to do it, but I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> thanks, Autumn. Where do you think the largest population of camels live?
3: The largest population of camels, mm-hmm. uh, I'm gonna have to say Egypt.
2: Mm, okay, no. Native homelands of camels would be you know Egypt, Arabia, uh, Mongolia. That's generally yeah. where you'll find what you think of, of camels. Right. Mm-hmm. But the largest population of camels in the world is found in Australia. In Australia. And these camels are wreaking havoc.
3: That is surprising. Not as surprising as if, you know, there was Chicago. That would be more surprising, but I never would have guessed. There's actually a huge population of camels
2: that live in Chicago. They arrived not long ago with uh, coffins, and (laughs) they are just trying to live their lives. Anyway, Australia, known for its unique wildlife, is really grappling with an ecological issue, this incredible and ever-increasing population of feral camels. Now, parts of coastal Australia were settled by the British from the late 1700s onward, and inland expeditions began to take place with regularity but covering such extreme distances in the rugged Australian outback was tough on traditional pack animals like horses which generally lacked the staying power for long hot days of travel the solution obviously camels they were first introduced to Australia in the 19th century for transportation and exploration purposes of course We gotta see what's next, we gotta see what's out there. Mm -hmm. And even though you are in no way discovering this land, sir, they thought they were, it was gross. (laughs) Anyway, between 1870 and 1920, as many as 20,000 camels were imported to Australia from the Arabian Peninsula, India, and Afghanistan. With the camels came 2,000 handlers or cameleers from the same regions, and they were well-suited for the harsh desert conditions of the Australian outback. But, as technology grew and modern transportation became a thing, camels became redundant, and one by one, they were released into the wild.
3: They just let them go? They just let them go. Hmm. Huh. In one sense i'm glad they did that Mm -hmm. you know because they're free but it's not their neighborhood
2: it's not their neighborhood but camels do really well there how well real well it's estimated that between 80 and 90 percent of the foliage that grows in australia camels will eat it
3: 80 to 90 percent
2: yeah like they're not real discerning they're just like what's this it's green i'll eat it wow which is kind of a problem
3: Do they wander into residential neighborhoods? They sure do. Eat shrubs? Yup. Oh no. And
2: in search of water, destroy pipes and toilets and anything else they can get their hands on or
3: hooves. A camel destroyed my toilet. Yeah.
2: Now, camels in Australia aren't wild, but feral. Feral animals are domesticated animals that live in the wild after escaping or being released from captivity. And according to the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, the only true wild camel is Camellus. the double humped camel which is separate from any other form of camel and did that separating about 700,000 years ago as of 2017 only about 900 to 1000 of those camels exist in the wild in northwest China and southwest Mongolia they're considered critically endangered so these are feral camels but in the case of these feral camels in Australia the situation is wild they have thrived in the absence of natural predators and favorable environmental conditions. They can reproduce quickly and their population has escalated rapidly over the years. According to a 2018 BBC article, the government-supported website FeralScan, which monitors invasive species, puts the current number between 1 and 1.2 million, with this amount reportedly doubling every eight to nine
3: years. Ooh wow
2: now initially without details some like myself might think camels awesome (laughs) but unfortunately and unexpectedly there are some issues largely environmental challenges like overgrazing camels are voracious eaters and in arid regions where resources are already limited, their overgrazing is a real problem.
3: Not to mention their toilet destruction.
2: That, that that too. Water depletion. Australia is obviously very arid and they deal with a lot of water scarcity. Feral camels compound this issue because they will travel long, long distances to find water sources and then they will deplete it. Mm. Habitat destruction. Feral camels trample vegetation, they destroy trees, they alter ecosystems, which has a cascading effect on other species that depend on these habitats for existence. The presence of feral camels creates intense competition for food and water resources. Any other herbivore hardly stands a chance against this camel. Kangaroos, wallabies, etc., they have a hard time competing, and the imbalance caused by camels can disrupt the delicate ecological equilibrium that has evolved over millennia in Australia. Now, addressing the feral camel problem requires a multifaceted approach um, involving both government initiatives and community involvement. Sadly, part of their solution has involved culling. Targeted programs involving helicopters and marksmen try to reduce the numbers this Mm. way. Wow. There's also efforts underway to encourage commercial use of feral camels, including capturing them for export from meat production and tourism activities such as camel rides. This approach aims to control the population while offering economic benefits.
3: They're giving the camels jobs.
2: Right. And there's also research ongoing about how to implement fertility control methods, like if there was some sort of airborne Birth control that you could release that would affect (laughs) just camels.
3: Camels and camels only.
2: Right. That might help slow the reproduction, which is really one of the big problems. Also, indigenous land management, collaborating with indigenous communities who possess traditional knowledge and experience with these camels, they can provide valuable insight for managing feral camel populations and do it sustainably. Now, some Australians have tried to turn the situation into a positive. An example is the Summerland Camels, which now graze more than 550 camels on its 850-acre organic farm in Queensland. And the Q Camel Dairy. They boast the benefits of camel's milk and camel's milk products, which are high in essential unsaturated fatty acids Hmm. and vitamin C. They offer a range of camel milk dairy goods, and that makes a lot of sense. These camels don't belong to anyone, and if you can just, like, scoop some up and start milking them, yeah, you know.
3: Everybody wins.
2: Agreed. It's obviously a complex environmental challenge, and the culling has raised a lot of eyebrows. A lot of people are opposed to the idea of Mm. just sending helicopters out with guns, shooting the camels. The controlled growth of these imported animals has triggered a series of ecological consequences, and it's worth noting that efforts to manage feral camels should be carried out with care and consideration for animal welfare. Humanely handling and culling processes and exploring alternatives to lethal control, like relocation or adoption programs, can help strike a balance between conservation and ethical treatment. Especially since it's not like these camels are dicks. They're just
3: cameling. Well, if they're busting up my toilet, then, you know, they're being a dick.
2: They're just trying to get to the water. It's not their fault they're there in the first place. Furthermore, Public awareness and education campaigns play a vital role in fostering a sense of responsibility and understanding when it comes to introducing species, especially those that could end up being invasive or harmful. This is a great example of don't do that.
3: There are a lot of examples of that, and many of them right here in Florida.
2: Oh, Florida is a great example of it. Because this environment is so welcoming to so many. Mm -hmm. And as urban sprawl continues, there aren't a lot of natural predators. Those little lizards are everywhere. I don't hate it, but I know that it's not cool. I do love them.
3: Yeah, word is that they uh, they hitched a ride on some uh, trade ships from the Caribbean back in the day. And mm. now they're just freaking everywhere.
2: Everywhere. And we had a two-day period where we had a ton of frogs. But mm-hmm. that is unrelated to everything that we've just talked about. I just... I just really liked them when all the frogs were here.
3: When I lived in Florida before and I had like a barbecue, I would always have to bang on the barbecue before I lit it. You get the, the lizards get out? Get the lizards out of my barbecue. Yeah. There are lizards in my barbecue.
2: There's a great book called Out of Eden, which is entirely about invasive species right. and how intense their damage and widespread consequences can be.
3: You read that by mistake.
2: I did. I meant to read Dragons of Eden because you said you liked it.
3: Because you were courting me.
2: I was wooing you. I'm glad I read it, though. It was a good book.
3: You know how to talk to a man, quoting Carl Sagan. (laughs) I had no chance.
2: I didn't, though. Instead, I was like, how about that brown snake, huh? And you're like, hmm?
3: Cool. (laughs) But then you read Dragon's Right,
2: and then then, I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's the feral camel problem of Australia. (laughs) Hey,
3: if you're listening in Australia, I know we have a lot of freaks in Australia. Have you ever run into... uh, Feral camel issues? Did a camel break your toilet? We want to hear about it.
2: Also, our friend and sometimes road manager, Amber, just got married, and she and her fellow went on their honeymoon to Australia and New Zealand, and she said that while they were in Australia, they saw someone wearing a box of oddities t-shirt.
3: Wow. Yeah. Crazy.
2: I love that. I got my information from the BBC from Pest PestSmart.com. From The Guardian and, of course, Wikipedia.
3: Hey, don't forget we have merch. It's on our website, theboxofoddities.com. And uh, we invite you to browse through for all of your gift-giving ideas.
2: Also, if you have any suggestions for new merch, I am a designant right now. So keep it in mind.
3: Curator at theboxofoddities.com. And we'll see you next time.
2: Until then, keep flying that freak flag
3: it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known
1: that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2023. All rights reserved.